You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning. I have to tell you how excited I am to see everybody in person again after a couple weeks. Um, That is always one of the the greatest things for me is to see people even in this time. And for those joining us at home, welcome. We are so happy you're here. I do have to say, though, I have an administrative thing that I think we need to get out of the way. And it has to do with Advent, because I really didn't think this was going to be this hard. Last week, Brady did his communion meditation on hope. It was a wonderful way to start the Advent season. And so when they asked me to do this message, I thought, well, what is the second Sunday in Advent? So I Googled it, of course, and that was not very helpful. um, Because love, peace came up, and I texted Jimmy, and he said, I think it's peace. And then I texted Brady, and Brady said, well, there are a lot of variations but the way he usually does it the second Sunday is faith. Okay. And since he was a college professor and he's the senior minister, we're going to talk about faith today. More specifically, faith in action. But I think people, when they see PD, should go up to him and say, we need to form a church committee, and we need to have meetings about what the Sundays in Advent are, because he doesn't have anything better to do, then go do that. So... When you see PD, make sure and tell him. So, we're going to talk about faith, and faith in action, and I have to tell you, I am more nervous about giving this message than I've been about any other, and that says something, because I get nervous quite often when I'm up here. But I'm going to be asking some questions. If you want to raise your hand, you can. If you want to talk, you can. But I'd like you to really think in your mind about what your answer would be to these questions. And the same for the folks at home. So I'm going to start a survey now. How many people here and at home are concerned about people going hungry here in Albuquerque? See, quite a few hands here. How many people think that the youth and the children in this church are not just important, but they're actually the future of the church? How many people believe that homelessness is a problem here in Albuquerque? And last question for now, but certainly not the last as we go through. How many people believe that all of our things, our possessions, our stuff, is by the grace of God? I have to tell you, as I began to try and compose this message, I was hoping to bring a really happy Advent message some lightness at the end of this crazy year. I was hoping that we'd all leave with smiles on our faces, kind of bounding out into the week. That's what I was hoping for. Especially after Brady did his communion meditation about hope, I thought, fantastic, this is going to be great. This is the time of year when we should all be smiling and happy. That was my hope. But as I tried to sleep Monday evening, and usually I'm a sound sleeper, my head was bombarded with things that I can only describe as questions from God. And I could not sleep. And it bothered me. So at 4 o'clock, I got up on Tuesday morning and I went out and sat in our den and tried to listen what I thought God was trying to tell me. 
and I've put this message together, and as I've been doing it, I can, I've been really uncomfortable at times. And I think it's going to make some folks here uncomfortable. Some it won't, because I think you're farther along in your journey than maybe I am and maybe some others are. So I apologize if I make folks uncomfortable, but I really believe that this is what God wanted me to say this morning. And as part of that discomfort, as I said, I'm going to be asking questions of the congregation. And Brady got away with preaching his sermon that he thought might get ministers fired, so hopefully this will go okay. But before we get really uncomfortable, let me just back up a little bit and talk about faith. So let me ask you, what is faith? What is faith? Pardon me? Knowing without sinning. Going without sinning or knowing? Knowing without sinning with your eyes. What else? Convinced mentally and spiritually of the truth. And who is our faith in? Jesus, God. That's right. And where do we get our information about faith? What tools do we have to use to develop that faith? The Bible. I've got one right here. Why do we believe the Bible? It's a book like so many other books. Why do we believe this to base our lives upon? Truth inspired by God. Trust in the poetry, the history, the evidence, the harmony of the scriptures. All those are fantastic answers. But do you realize how odd that makes all of us in this room to the world out there? How absolutely strange we seem to most of the people we're going to come in contact with over the next year. We believe in a God that we learned in this book, maybe from our parents, the Bible teaches us things that we can't see that requires and asks of us a certain way of living that is in conflict with most everything that goes on outside those doors. We get up on Sundays, maybe we put on our Sunday best, we gather together for a service, whether it's online or in person, we listen to the Word of God, maybe we go to a Sunday school class and we try and learn more about that. And to the folks outside of here, that's really strange that we have this faith. To world out there, it's odd. And some might even call us weird or weirdos. So all I can say this morning is, welcome to church, weirdos. It's so good to be with you this morning. There is nowhere else I would rather be than with you all right here and right now. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the author states, faith is the assurance of things hoped for for the conviction of things not seen. The Greek word for assurance, hypostasis, can also be translated as confidence. So the author, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, says that faith is not a grounded hope, or is not a vague hope grounded in imagery or imaginary things, but it's a settled confidence that something in the future, not yet seen but promised by God, 
will actually come about because God will bring it about. The Greek word for faith is pistis, and that's translated as belief or conviction with the complementary idea of trust. So we believe it, but we also trust that. And it's not just intellectual, but it's a faith that leads us to action. And faith isn't about who we are, but it's about who God is. And who is God? Tell me, who is God? He created the world. The master, the maker, the creator of everything. And we believe that. The very first line in this book says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. So how does our creator feel about us, about you and about me? In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 1 John, we hear, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It doesn't say if we talk about Christ or if we are near Christ or we think about Christ. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. Ephesians says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. We are chosen and we're adopted by God because of our faith in the sanctification of Jesus on the cross. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Faith, in essence, banks on eternity. Because can you imagine how odd we are if we have this faith, but we don't have something that we're faithful for? And that's what makes us really strange. That, our belief in eternity. We truly believe that we are just temporary here. We're passing through. We're sojourners or resident aliens. A few weeks ago, when Mary and Bud's video was playing, I was struck when asked who Jesus was to her. Mary said, he's my best friend. I thought that was a great answer. So think about your best friend if it's not Jesus. What do you share with that person? Or if it is Jesus, what do you share with your best friend? All your problems? All problems. Everything. everything. We share time. We share everything. We give to our best friend because we want that relationship to be special. So do we do that with Jesus? And let's be honest about that. On a Sunday in the fall, am I going to spend more time this afternoon with the Packers or the Steelers or the Cowboys than I am with God? And what about this week or this year? Do I have to replace the batteries in my remote control for the TV more often than my Bible or a prayer journal? And during this pandemic, am I binge watching more TV 
and I'm binge reading the Bible. And I don't say this to try and shame people because I don't know the answers to all these questions. I mean, I, do I have a man cave but not a prayer room? Who am I being best friends with? Who am I trying to develop a relationship with? And I can already hear the yeah buts, yeah, because I say them myself all the time. Oh, I have to watch six or 12 hours of football each weekend because I need to relax. You just don't understand how stressful my job is. Well, that's how we relax in my family. We pick a series and we binge watch. But don't worry, because they're all clean shows. It's nothing bad. Folks, we've been discussing following Jesus. But are we really ready to commit to that? To submit to Christ, our Lord, so completely? And we have many people in the Bible who did. I could have spent the next hour listing people who did that. But for today, I'm only going to go with three. Noah, in Genesis, was called by God to build a boat in the desert. And not just a boat to put on a trailer to take down to the lake. He was called to build a big boat. And he was told why. And he did it. And he had to get all those animals rounded up. And from what I've seen in studying, people think it took between 20 and 120 years to get that boat finished. Now, I don't know exactly how long it took, but my guess is it was long enough for his neighbors to come by and question his sanity, make fun of him, deride him, and scorn him. And my guess is no matter how long it took, the only way he got through doing that was by his faith in God and that God had a good plan for him. Abram, later called Abraham, was called when he was 75 years old to pick up his family and go on the promise of something in the future. I think Abraham was probably pretty comfortable where he was. And then later, he was called to sacrifice his son. And he was willing to do that even though it didn't happen. That's faith. But it, since this is Advent season, the person I think about most is Mary. She is called by an angel of the Lord. And she is told that she's going to be made pregnant, even though she's a virgin, even though she's betrothed to somebody else, and again, age-wise, I've heard anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. It really doesn't matter, because here is what Mary said to the angel. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Nothing about, hey, what will this do with my relationship with Joseph, my betrothed? What are my parents going to think about, my friends? Or not me, Lord, I'm too busy and certainly not knowing the future of her son. Mary didn't say she was too young, and Noah and Abraham didn't say they were too old. They just said yes to what the Lord called them to do. They didn't worry about how that would make them fit or not fit into the world. They had faith with a capital F. They had faith because they knew God would not lead them astray, and their faith led them to action. James, in his very blunt statement on that, says that, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, also faith apart from works is dead. 
And some people think that conflicts when Paul says that we're saved by grace through faith as a gift from God and not by our works. And, and I think both are certainly compatible. Because what James is saying is that to him, if I say I have faith and nothing changes in my life outwardly and the way I behave, that's kind of a bogus faith. It's an intellectual exercise without a genuine personal trust in Christ that bears fruit in my life. And that's exactly what happened to Saul, who became Paul. He not only had a come-to-Jesus moment, but he had a come-to-Jesus life. After he met Jesus, his life changed such that he wrote most of the New Testament. James, in his last message, and in other messages he's done, and that would be James Parrish, not the James half-brother of Jesus, said, has talked about walking in the dust of the rabbi. And he said that when one was a disciple, or one is a disciple, they were trying to imitate their rabbi. Not only to learn the master's teachings, but to imitate the way he lived, how he prayed, studied, taught, served the poor, and lived out his relationship with God every day. Well, we've chosen Jesus as our rabbi. So my next question is, are we really ready as individuals and as a corporate body to follow Jesus? Because they aren't just words. It's not just going to be a new catchphrase that hopefully will pull people in off Montgomery. It's a church-wide commitment to follow our rabbi and have faith with a capital F. A chance, as both Jason Helm and James Parrish have said, to do more and be more as individuals and for the church, for our Lord and Savior, to contribute to this church, this city, and not for us, but for the glory of God. So, back to my questions from the beginning, and this is where it'll probably get uncomfortable. How many people think hunger is a problem for some folks in Albuquerque? And so many people raise their hand. And I think it is for quite a few people. And I know that at least a few people in this church go out every day in their car, when they can go out in their car, with bottles of water and little bags of food. And if they see somebody who's asking for something, roll down the window and give that to them. And that's incredible. But what if we be more and do more? What if in that bag, we put a Bible verse? Or what if we put the name and address of this church with that food? Or, and this is going to seem crazy, what if I decided to put my cell phone number in my name and said, I am praying for you, and if you need anything, let me know. Now I've gone too far, and I already know that, we might end up with homeless people coming here. It might be dirty. It might be stinky. They might not fit in. They might actually call and ask me for something if I do that. And they might make me feel uncomfortable. And that's all true. But if we're going to follow Jesus, to be in Christ, as Paul says, and not just imitate the words, but imitate his life, we may want to think about that. Because when our rabbi talks about the final judgment, he plainly says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people from one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in prison or sick and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Those are familiar words to any of us who have been in the church for a while. But if we're really to follow Jesus, to really latch on, they aren't just words. They're a way of life. So question two, how many of us believe that our youth and children are more important they're indeed the future of our church. And again, we had, I think, most every hand go up here. And again, I certainly do. Do you know that there are youth in our church who are not having premarital sex and who are not doing drugs and alcohol and that they get made fun of and even bullied in school? They choose not to do that to try and live a Christian life. And the world out there makes them feel like they're the ones doing something wrong. Folks, we need to exhort these youth that are trying their very best to live a Christian life. And we need to let them know we are doing that as they follow Jesus through our prayers and just seeing someone, maybe just saying, hi, how are you? And asking them. And you know, we also need to realize that there are kids and adults who come here who haven't always lived that follow Jesus kind of life. And part of what we're called to do is be compassionate to those folks, and those folks include me, to show them God's grace and that following Jesus is a path worth taking. So back to my question about youth. How many of us this week called Gerald to be volunteered to be youth sponsors? Yeah, me neither. And I can almost hear again, well, Chris, I don't have time for that. I'm, I'm too old, I'm too young, right? I travel a lot for work. And I know I get that, because those are the same things I say in my head so that I don't call. But maybe occasional help. I bet if you called and said, I could do once a month or once a year, he'd love to have you. And I get that you may not be able to be a youth sponsor, but how about an email to Gerald saying, Gerald, I pray for the youth group, but what I'd really like is the individual names in the group so I can pray over each and every individual youth in this church. So I can pray and lift them up by name to God. And if there are any people who need special prayers, can you please let me know? And same thing for Amanda and the kids. How many of us this week have volunteered to be a teacher or help in the nursery? And even though the kids aren't meeting yet, in person, they will be again soon. And wouldn't it be nice for Amanda to come up here some Sunday morning and say, I have all the volunteers I need. I've not had to ask anyone. Thank you, church, for helping downstairs. And again, I realize that for some of us, getting up and down the stairs might prevent that. 
But again, let's ask for names to pray over for Amanda's kids. Because if we really believe that the youth and the children are maybe the most important thing here, we need to lift those folks up. I mean, Jesus, when asked by his disciples, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called to him a child, not a lawyer, not an engineer, not a packer, not a cowboy, not a stealer. And he put that child in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what does it mean to humble yourself? I would put out there that it means being vulnerable to the will of God. A child does not have that ability, so they are automatically vulnerable to the world around them. I would say we need to become like children, that we're vulnerable to listen and hear the word of God. If we're really going to follow Jesus, maybe we should hang around with the youth and the kids who resemble most what we're supposed to look like before we go to heaven. And the last two go together, and I promise if I haven't made you uncomfortable yet, this will do the trick, because it did for me. I couldn't get these questions out of my mind, and I will tell you, I don't know the answer to these questions, and I don't know how far along the path I will be able to go in answering these questions. But I do know as we follow Jesus more and more, more of these questions will come up for us. So I asked, where did stuff come from? And I think we'd all agree it was by the grace of God and that it doesn't belong to me. So it's his to do what he wants with it. Last question, how many of us have guest rooms? Mm, few, half maybe. Why? Why do we have guest rooms? The answer would probably be, well, for guests. But if your guest room's like mine, it doesn't get used very often. In fact, a couple times a year, this year, hardly at all. So if it doesn't get used that often, and we think homelessness is a problem in Albuquerque, and if my guest room belongs to God and somebody needs a place to sleep, then, and trust me, I'm way out in front of you already on making excuses about this thought that God put into my head. I can't do that. They might be dirty, it might be dangerous, they might be drug users, criminals. I've got a daughter at home. I know that. But that's the question. And it might be true, but if I'm really going to follow Jesus and I really have those concerns, I mean, why does Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus traveled the uncomfortable road. He ate with the sinners. He fed the hungry. He didn't ask for a resume or credentials or a criminal record before he did it. He just did it. And he calls us to do the same. Noah didn't say he was too busy or ask what the neighbors would think. Abraham didn't say he had it easy where it was and maybe God could just go pick someone else. And thank goodness Mary, at a young age, realized her servanthood in God. Do I really want to live the adventure of following Jesus? Do you? Do I want to have faith with a capital F? These questions really made me uncomfortable for a couple days, and I honestly tried to find another topic, a more Hallmark Christmassy kind of message to bring today. But I kept coming back to these questions. 
or rather God wouldn't let go of me with these questions. So we're going to follow Jesus, and it might be scary sometimes. It might not mean fitting in to the world, and the closer we get to Jesus, the more we won't fit in out there. And you know, it's easy in words to say, oh, that's fine, I don't care, until it starts affecting friendships, other relationships, jobs. That's why we need to put on the whole armor of God every day when we go out. You know, I don't know what it will involve or how I'll even answer these questions and all the others that are going to come up, but I know if I'm going to follow my rabbi to get dust on my shoes from the rabbi to imitate his life, that I'll need to make some changes and be ready for whatever God calls me to do. That's what I don't know. But what I do know is that putting faith into action for each one of us will be different because we're all called to do different things. But that's just it. We are called to do. We're called to do more and to be more. Not for the world, not for our glory, not for a certificate, not for a raise, but for the glory of God. And I know that faith in action doesn't require a sign-up table. It doesn't require a group or a committee, as I joked about earlier. It just requires us to make that decision that we're going to get closer to the rabbi. So maybe this week we don't have a homeless person in our guest room. Or maybe we don't put our personal cell phone number in a bag. But let's send Gerald and Amanda an email. Let's lift them up and ask what we can do for those kids. Heck, maybe even send Jimmy and Brady an email and ask what they need. Maybe put a case of water in your car and just, if you see someone, hand it out. Vow that in this Advent season, if you haven't already, you're going to make Jesus your best friend. And you're going to share with him time and everything you know, I'm pretty sure if we're going to follow him, he'd like to get to know us better. He'd like to be all of our best friends. I also know that as I follow Jesus closer, who is in front of me? My Lord and Savior, the creator of everything, is in front of me as I face that world. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And isn't that really the good news of the Advent? That the Lord God is with us wherever we go, that we can have that relationship because we celebrate this season. We celebrate the first coming of our Lord and Savior, which led through the cross to our salvation. And that we anticipate our best friend's return at some time in the future. And hopefully we will have a capital faith capital F type of faith, and that we're all covered in the dust of the rabbi. Father God, thank you for your son and thank you for this season. May we be uncomfortable for your glory, Lord, as we get closer to you, as we try and become the children you'd like us to be, the children you want us to be. Give us love, give us faith, and give us courage, Lord, that we might do for the people in this church, the people in this city, what you would have us do as you have done for us, which is give us your son who died on the cross so that we might be with you. Amen.